Life in 2015 seems like a farce. Contrary to pluralist cries, religion is a popular vehicle for driving people apart. The racial fault lines have expanded in ways thought to have been settled by the last of the civil rights movements. Protests are seemingly the only way to be heard. To get a read on what's happening in America today, we talked to Drew Hart, a writer, theologian, and founder of the Anablactivist movement. Um, it's really, in that sense, it's salvaging Christianity. Um, but it is, but within that then, there's, there is a deep and nasty critique right. of the broader Christian tradition. So it's not, it's not uh, letting the, the tradition off the hook for its complicity in white supremacy and racism, but it is nonetheless not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you've, you've got Christianity wrong. And, and, and we're going to uh, take a whole new, fresh look at it and follow Christ as we see him in Scripture and in our lives. A conversation on religion, race, and politics recorded at the 2015 annual meetings of the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature. That's coming up right now. From SowingTheSeed.org, this is Broadcast Seeding, a podcast with future food for thought on religion, culture, and teaching. I'm Richard Newton. We're glad you joined us. We have Drew Hart with us talking about anablactivism, his new book coming out, and all sorts of stuff. So thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you, you have a a wide readership, you talk about a lot of things, um, but I think one of the things that I first connected with you about uh, was this work on anablactivism, which is the baddest name out there, first of all. Uh, everyone's trying to get the name for a movement and the stuff they're about, but anablactivism is in, um, and there's so much there. So what does that term signify for you? Yeah, um, so in many ways, it the, the name comes it's me sorting through my own formation and the different influences um, in my own Christian walk. And so it's three things kind of combined. Uh, there's Anabaptism, there's black theology, and there's activism. And it's really those three things coming together is what makes Anablactivism. Um, and so it's really trying to look at Christianity. Uh, it's both sees the broader Western Christian tradition as a problem. <laughs> But it's also trying to offer a new path and a new insight from the perspectives of Christians that have been crushed and persecuted and oppressed by Christians in the West. Um, and so that's really the heart of it. Yeah, and that's powerful, too. I mean, in, in one sense, maybe a place to start is with the Anabaptist tradition. I mean, yeah. you could start with any of those yeah, yeah, yeah. in that combination of, uh, of the term. But with Anabaptism, so Anabaptists are not Baptists. Right. They are, you're talking about sort of a 16th century group. That's right. Switzerland, you know, right. coming out saying we're not getting on board with state religion. Infant baptism's no good. We right. need to, we got to do this thing again. We have to do it right. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Movement? Okay. Absolutely. Um, and so these were people who, by the way, were not popular because of that stance they took against the status quo and were on the run as a result. And, um, so they're on the run, but they are seeing themselves as living out the gospel in true fashion. And, you know, running and gunning is a good way to do that. So, uh, so that's happening for them. And then you have the black theology piece. And this is a place where I think a lot of people trip up because uh, 
I mean, if we're real about it, do black folks have any business doing Christianity? You know, like right. why why are they doing this thing and continue to do this thing? Right. Um, so what's going on there? Black theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's precisely. I love Jay Cameron Carter's phrase in his book Race: A Theological Account. At the end of it, in his epilogue, he talks about uh, Christians uh, on the underside of racial modernity that sought to resalvage. Christianity from be, being a discourse of death, and then he says their death. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so here's this, I mean, if we're honest, Western Christian tradition has been a death-dealing force in the world, um, all around the world, and particularly, especially, we can talk about, you know, black folk here in America. Um, and yet, it's precisely in that context that African uh, peoples encountered a different understanding of who Christ was. Um, so instead of this oppressive Christ, they found a liberating Christ, a, friend, a Christ that was a friend, you know, in hard times. Uh, they saw uh, a Christ that stood with them and identified with them and, and was a co-sufferer with them in the midst of it all. And so um, it's really, in that sense, it's salvaging Christianity. Um, but it is... But within that, then, there's, there is a deep and nasty critique right. of the broader Christian tradition. So it's not, it's not uh, letting the, the tradition off the hook for its complicity in white supremacy and racism, but it is nonetheless not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you've, you've got Christianity wrong, and, and, and we're going to uh, take a whole new fresh look at it and follow Christ as we see him in Scripture and in our lives. And there's a... There's a powerful mathematics that goes on there, right? I mean, there's some calculations about what this Christianity thing, this Christianity thing can mean, right? I mean, what are its parameters? What, what is its value to us and what we need to do as a people? Um, and, and I'm thinking about this in terms of that, that last word, activism, because in one sense, activism is just action. It's just agency. It's just recognizing you have a right to do something that you matter, which is actually pretty revolutionary for black folks right um but it seems hyper militant when you say it for black folks that's right, right. black lives matters is a really threatening term for a lot of people. that's right um but you know if i could be anachronistic it sounds like christians uh, or black people do this sort of math to say okay quantitatively if we do the pros and cons of the christianity thing it may not work out that christianity is something we should do Maybe it does. It depends on how you look at it. But qualitatively, there's some power there. There's something there in that story, in the words, in the possibilities that make this worthwhile. Um, and they want to act on it. And I'm, and I'm curious, what is it that they see? Yeah. And what, I mean, and what is it that you see, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it is, is, part of it is saying, I, I trust that my ancestors were not idiots but that they were encountering a liberating force and presence in their lives, right? Um, that they weren't just turning their minds off, even if they couldn't read. Right. Um, they were intelligent people that were discerning and trying to make sense of their times as well. Um, and so that for generations, um, Jesus has been a liberating presence, pointing them towards freedom and, and offering them hope in the midst of hard times and troubled times. So, so I mean, I think that's part of it. But then I would say, so it's not, there's the looking back, but then there's also, I mean, the presence. I'd say that, that um, many today continue to um, 
encounter this same Christ today. Um, and I'm, I, I would argue that Scripture is on our side. It's that, that Jesus is the one who said, you know, he came to set free the, um, the oppressed. Um, and he clearly um, is identified deeply with, um, I mean, he himself is a poor Jew living under Roman occupation mm -hmm. and identifying, even in that side, with those who are on the underside of the underside, right? The most mar marginal of this already oppressed and occupied people. And so I think um, there's, there's the scriptural side and then there's the encounter, the actual encounter of who we've seen Christ to be in our lives. Not just an abstract principle, but it's actually the one that we worship and follow day to day and pray to and who our grandmom said can call up on the midnight hour, right? Uh -huh. it's, it's that Jesus all together as one that I think is inspiring and it, that's encouraging. And um, it aligns, it does, it aligns with our goals for freedom too, absolutely. Yeah, and there's a, there's some interesting politics at work with that. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is in one, uh, there's a revision of history. And I don't mean like you're rewriting history, like some pure history that had it right. And you're saying, oh no, now this is actually better and, and y'all were wrong and I'm gonna make this work for me. But, right. at, and at one level, that's what we're always doing with history Absolutely. too. But Absolutely. Uh, I guess what I wanna capture is there's a complexity there that has been overlooked in sort of how black people came to Christianity, and that is that it wasn't just an emotional thing. I mean, there is certainly the power of the, of the charismatic experience and charismatic expression and being spirit-filled, but there's also intellectual moves happening. Um, you know, they are taking a site, perhaps one of the few sites where reading and discussion is allowed and making it work for them. That's huge. Yeah. And uh, whether it's amongst themselves or saying, okay, yeah, teach us this stuff. Yeah. But then also identifying with the meaning of the text or the meaning in the text and saying, our teachers are wrong about it. Right. Or at least some of our teachers have been wrong about it. And for any student who has been said that, you know, been told that they were out of line, you know what that's like. And this is happening on a, you know, the next level of I imagine it puts people on edge. Yeah. And ha has that happened, or am I am I doing a little feature-telling? I don't no, know. I mean, it's a mix. I mean, yeah. I think there's some folks that are a little off-put, you know, because because in America, blackness has always been, by dominant culture, used as a word for all things negative, right? Yeah. Um, and so to combine it in any way with Christianity and Christian life as a positive expression is going to be off-putting. It's going to be threatening, and and when black people use the language of blackness, which was imposed on us, and then use it positively, right, in a means of encouraging, you know, our psyches who've been crushed and told so many negative things for so long, for hundreds of years, um, it's it's going to be off-putting to many people, um, and I think that's okay. I mean, I think the gospel in and of itself is scandalous and it's offensive right it's going to like if i'd say like if you're not preaching the gospel to preach the gospel in your context is to always be offending folks in some way and it's precisely at the site of the crucified right the crucified christ and the the crucified christ that stands in solidarity with the crucified peoples of the world in that sense god's um expression of himself is as a crucified person and so in that sense um it's precisely at that point that um, I think the gospel demands that of us to to that kind of offense in our society in a way that would actually try to 
demonize those who are being crucified in the world. Yeah, and, and Charles Long, a historian of religion, talks about, you know, if you look at the American experience, or, or frankly, modernity, and you ask how African Americans, or more specifically, how black people and Africans who are coming, who are brought into this modern world, see religion. If you ask them how they see religion, one of the things is they identify this potential. They identify this transformation as much as they identify the struggle itself, right? The human condition that they find themselves in, you know, almost in a magnified way. They see also the potential too, and um, you know, that comes out in the Gospels as the resurrection. Right. And, and it gets me thinking about how we're seeing what some have called a resurrection of civil right, the civil rights movement, or civil yeah. rights movements. And I wonder, do you see in a blacktivism as part of that context, uh, fully or adjacent, or you know, sort of? How do you characterize it in this history that's unfolding before? Yeah, us? no, I think I think it's absolutely um, a part of that broader conversation and uh, these other movements that are taking place. I would, I, I like to think of it as um, coming alongside all these other things that are happening and joining in the conversation. Um, I mean, I think. A lot of folks in my general generation in the black community um, are dissatisfied with with the ways that you know, especially in the early 21st century, the way things were moving in terms of how we were dealing with these justice issues or not dealing with them, right? Um, and the demands of always trying to feel like we have to be respectable before the society, and in that sense, further assimilates and deny ourselves, right, and our own particularity and cultural. Um, expressions and gifts. So I think that anablacktivism, in the same way that uh, Black Lives Matter wants to, it's a it's a reclaiming of, or redefining of Black humanity and the significance of that in our society, in the society that says Black lives don't matter, right? Yeah. Same thing with anablacktivism is to affirm Blackness um, and not let white supremacy have the last word on our humanity. <clears throat> and there's a there's kind of a fatalism there, I guess, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about with, uh, well, one with the modern question, right? What do right. we do in the now, right. in this world that seems so big? Uh, corporations are people. God is dead. Um, you know, self-help because no one's coming to get you, right? Um, I, I think through the term anablacktivism and look at some of the struggles, frankly, the church has had in modernity. Yeah. Um, sort of its own, you know, watching its own obsolescence. Uh, blackness in opposition to sort of post-racial ideals, right? Obama's here, right. we're good to go. Right. Um, and activism, you know, which is I not a word a lot of people thought they would ever use to describe Generation Y and Millennials, right? I mean, we were sort of seen as self-absorbed. Right. Um, and, but now we're at some moment where you're seeing people up in arms doing their thing and up in arms in a lot of ways, right? I would say in a very figurative way, not so much in the sort of weaponized way. We have found more powerful things than weapons that's right. here, and that's what's threatening, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anablacktivism is the intersection of these three things, and that's, if people aren't scared yet, they're going to be scared soon, is my sense, because it's the front of religion and race and sort of history that you're confronting and saying, guess what? there's another chapter to this and I, I I'm curious as if you've seen any resistance 
on the part of any three of any one of the three groups, whether it's traditional Anabaptists, um, black church proper, whatever that is, and also sort of generationally, you know, whether it's from peers and Generation Y and millennials or uh, the old guard, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, the, of these movements, the civil rights movement and others. Yeah. Well, yeah, so let's see. Let's move all the way through. Anabaptism, I mean, I think there's mixed responses. I mean, I think I've both been surprised by some of the reception, right? I mean, white Anabaptists talking about, oh, yeah, I'm an Anabaptist now, right? So, right, really, Mennonites, right, engaging, brethren, yeah, 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 yeah. getting on board. Okay. Yeah, getting on board. Um, at the same time, uh, especially among the neo-Anabaptists, I think there's, because I think in the neo-Anabaptist world, that's that's usually mo- folks who are coming from like evangelical backgrounds that are reading like Stanley Hauerwas and John Howard Yoder or whoever, um, but there's, they're, they're, Christian formation has been completely in evangelical circles otherwise, other than these books. Um, they have not thought as much about their own particularity, right? A lot of the historic Anabaptist churches, they have a certain sense of identity beyond just white dominant culture, even if they're partly assimilated into it. But I think these neo-Anabaptist communities have not, don't have that. And so when you start talking about whiteness or blackness or any of that, that throws up a lot of red flags. And so I think um, that's probably, at least in the Anabaptist world, the place where I probably have been, I'm probably most scariest to, is, are those folks. Because um, they have this idea of Anabaptism that's set off, they assume that they're already set off from the world and this unique expression of God's kingdom, and yet they're completely complicit in the white supremacy and haven't even thought about it. So so I think um, so there's going to be some challenges in that community. In the black church, I mean, it's a mix because, I mean, the black church has always been very complicated, you know? Always. It's always been very complicated. We like to look back, and I know, you know, oh, yeah, the black church in the 60s, we were the movement, right? Like, no, King and, and, the, and SCLC and most of them, you know, they were frustrated with a lot of the black church, right? right? Um, and, and so, I mean, I think there's ways in which... Um, I feel like so far, I mean, I haven't gotten any negative pushback in that sense, but I think the activism part, I think there's some folks in the church that want to just pray these, pray to these. So they recognize these are big problems. Oh yeah. yeah. And the solution, let's pray. Right. And I'm, I'm all about prayer. Right. I think we got evil forces going on in this world. I'm all about prayer. The least we can do. Right. Is, yeah. Right. But I think that, um, but we've got to go beyond that. I think that is a kind of spiritualized understanding that we've adopted from Western Christianity, which further allows us to, you know, be passive in the midst of oppression. And so I think, you know, this call to activism as a part of Christian discipleship um, is an important feature that I think needs to get emphasized more in the black church. I usually... But I'm not getting a lot of pushback against that when I say it. I just don't think that's always our inclination. Um, so I think that's some of it. And then in activism, you know, I mean, I think um, I, my, my guess, my, my feeling is that most folks, especially, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, they want to see folks that are down for the cause. That's really what it is, right? Um, and I think the assumption is that a lot of Christians, they've kind of, eh, the church, eh. Now, some of it isn't always true. Like, I think some of the critiques that have been going on about, you know, the move, the freedom movement of the 60s, I don't know if it's all fair. I think it's a, they've bought into, like, the perceptions of King and all that stuff that dominant culture has fed them. 
Um, but King was trying to create confrontation, and he was bringing alongside. I love somebody said it recently. King was finding the most con most confrontational like folks he could find as his lieutenants for his That's organization, right. who are going to stir up trouble. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, it's so easy, I think, for us also to. Um, to kind of disconnect and not see ourselves as also participating in a similar kind of way as other generations have. And so I think there needs to be a lot more on both sides, some intergenerational dialogue and respect going both ways. Um, but I do think at the same time that, you know, each generation's got to be able to figure out how to engage the society as it is and be able to, on the, on the shoulders of others, keep building, you know, and I think that's important. Yeah, and this, I like how you said keep building um, because it presupposes that building has been happening and it's a process, right? I think That's we right. often look back at the, the monuments to these figures and moments and times. I mean, we're in Atlanta right now. Right. And uh, a few hours ago, I drove through King Center. Yeah. And I was checking out the memorials, right, the monuments, um, you know, King's resting place. And it's just like, wow, like this is, there's a sense of, you know, I don't care how like post-religious you are or whatever, in American religion, like America as religion, that is one of our holy sites. That's right. Um, like you can't go there and be, and, and be unmoved and call yourself an American. Like it just doesn't work. They're going to say, you, you need to leave now. Um, but there, really, it's never been static. It's never been frozen in time. It's always been about the movement. Yeah. And um, these categories that anablactivism sort of encapsulates, each of them are movements in and of themselves. You know, That's people right. have to construct this. They have to learn how to do this anabap. You know, be baptized again. Go through that process. You know, going through the water again. Um, blackness has never been... You know, you're black and that's it. You had to learn. Everyone had to learn. I don't care how down you think you are. You watched a different world or you did something and you had to learn how to be black. Um, activism, you know, no one comes out just wrecking shop. I mean, maybe you came out wrecking shop, but you had to come out and then learn how to be effective and that's more right. effective. Absolutely. That's what makes it activism. And I, I wonder, what what are the scriptures that, I guess, your community or that your, your movement's passing on so people can kind of unpack this and learn and get tutored in anablactivism you know this. yeah um so i mean I, I would say that the the first thing and it would be i mean if somebody sounds kind of broad but the gospel stories right okay. i i feel like the one thing that the broader christian tradition in america has not done is take seriously Jesus, which is the name of my blog, right? right. <laughs> and I think, um, and that's precisely what I think Anabaptists and, and the black church at their best um, have tried to do, right? Is take seriously the particularity of Jesus' life. So not just Christ in the name of Jesus and all of that, but it's actually the particularity of Jesus' birth, life, teachings, death, and resurrection. It's his social identification with the people that he encounters in that world. Um, and so, so some of it is just that slow immersing ourselves in that story, um, which I think already just in and of it, it sounds kind of silly, but that is actually a radical thing to do, it seems, in Western Christian tradition, to, to, to make that serious. Um, uh, so that's one thing, and, and we could talk about like, you know, so in the Anabaptist communities, I think like the Sermon on the Mount has been an extremely important um, hermeneutical starting point uh, for thinking about 
Jesus' life as well as the meaning for Christian discipleship. Um, I think in the black church, you know, Luke 4, 18 and 19 has been huge. You know, um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release of the captives, recovery of sight to the blinds, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, I think that's been a huge point. I would also, along with that, I mean, obviously the whole canon, but I also think I've been re in dialogue with the two traditions i've actually been rethinking and wrestling with even um uh israel's story uh in the hebrew um, bible um that there's some really interesting moves in terms of god's relationship um to justice and how that works out with his walk along with this covenant people right um and i think uh it, it challenges us to think about what does it mean to be God's people and what does it mean to deviate at times away from that because we're trying to build monarchy, right? The, yeah. Or, uh, um, and how do we get called back to that thing, you know, the prophetic tradition that recalls us back to that folk. I mean, there's just some interesting moves. That's just a simplistic. I mean, I can't really get into it now. But I think that um, uh, the Old Testament, for me, um, because, I mean, you can't really understand Jesus' life without really having a good sense of these stories um, that are undergirding Jesus' life to begin with anyway. That's a, and that's a big, I think that's kind of a big change for, I would say, Anabaptist traditions. I've been hanging out with brethren folks lately, yeah. <clears throat> and they like to talk about, you know, there's no creed. We have no creed but the New Testament. Right. And, right. you know, in the, in the Christian imagination of black folks, the Exodus story has been a huge, huge part absolutely. that you can't really do the Jesus thing without it. I That's mean, right. we frame the canon, we canonize Jesus through it because we canonize our experience right. through not the arrival at the promised land, but the pursuit and the wandering toward it and around right. it and near it. You know, I am, yep. um, I'm thinking about, you know, King's words, you know, it's him talking about not necessarily being at the promised land yeah. with the people. Yeah, we'll get or, there. Or, yeah, we'll get there, right? And also... The, the idea that there is, the promised land is almost always reserved for the dead. Hmm. You know, I, I've been at places where we talk about people who have, you know, passed on and gone to the ancestors and all this. And you can talk about being at the promised land then. Otherwise, though, in our experience, we're not there. Right. We may have seen America as the promised land. But we're not in that America yet. There's a layering there and a, a liminality, you know, an in-betweenness that uh, seems quite, quite representative of the sort of modern, we just, we're still figuring it out, we have to figure it out, but also the, um, the place that you have to be in order to um, build something new, right? You can't, you can't settle, you have to be hungry. And um, certainly the church has been yeah, I think it all is about how we read the Jesus story, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, because I think in Western Christianity, we, we read the Jesus story through um, salvation atonement theory, right? That's how people, and so, and then we impose that into the story and say that's what the meaning of the story is. Um, and so it's all focused solely on, you know, if you're Lutheran, it's justification by faith, or whatever, you know what I mean? Or if you're Reformed, maybe it's, you know, um, substitutionary, whatever, but we're trying to, and that's the point of the story. Right, Jesus' blood has washed you clean, right, right. white as snow, right. you know, th this, this is no accident, by the way, right. um, 
that that theology is is the grid through which but i feel like i read matthew mark luke and john and that doesn't seem especially matthew mark and luke i mean the big thing is and particularly gospel of luke i mean it's jesus you know starting i think it's around chapter nine he's heading towards jerusalem it keeps saying over as he's on his way to jerusalem he set his eyes towards jerusalem right he gets there and it's a clash I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's confrontation with the establishment. And then not only is it confrontation with the establishment, and not only does he name them a den of robbers, right, and start flipping tables and stuff, right, and this is disruption, but then it's a whole takeover, right? He, he takes over, and now he's the one teaching in the temple. And so he's, I mean, talk about, like, people blocking traffic. I mean, he is, a, it's disruption and then takeover. And then it says in most of the gospel, it says it's at that point that people want to kill him. He said, and this is not just a, you know, we think, just, oh, we're just thinking like religious leaders. This is the religious, social, cultural, political center. It's all of that, all economic, all of that all together. And they're connected with the Roman Empire, right? So it's all of that, all in one symbolized um, in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus comes in there and he disrupts it and he confronts it, disrupts it and takes it over, um, I think that. That's something I think that most activists can get along with, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a different interpretation. Of what does it mean then to be a peacemaker, right? It's not the status quo peace. That it's actually, if, if you're in a world of violence, the most peaceful thing you can do is disrupt the violence, right? Um, and so I think that, again, I think that's a, a better reading of the Jesus story. And I think it's something that I think activists hopefully can get on board with. Um, because I think it, it orients a different kind of Christi Christian witness than, again, um, just the kind of passive praying, but we're not going to do anything. We're not going to trouble the waters, right? right? And I think we got to rock the boat. I think Jesus rocked the boat, and that's a part of his witness. Now, thinking about readings and troubling the waters, you have a book that's about to drop, Trouble yeah. I've Seen. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Trouble I've Seen, uh, the subtitle is called Changing the Way the Church Views Racism. And what the book is trying to do is, is try to make an accessible resource for the church, church around racism. I think my, my gut is that, or my experience, my observations has been that most Christians have a very thin understanding of racism. It's very unhelpful. And so the best that we can imagine, if we even get to this point, the very best is let's sit together and sing songs, you know, and then we've solved the problem. And it doesn't really understand the full complexities of white supremacy and racial hierarchy and how that in our racialized society and all these things, right? It, um, and so what I tried to do is bring some of these insights from what we would call uh, critical race theory or anti-racism theory in, in the sociology world, um, as well as bring some theological ethics insights, right? And bring them together, but in accessible form. So I'm telling a lot of stories that hopefully, you know, will help. Sometimes stories can unmask and unveil some of the complexities that people are not always ready to hear if you just tell it straight right away. I tell it straight as well, but I also share a lot of stories that I think through my own experiences of things that I've seen um, that I think get at some of these problems. And so I'm really trying to expand our definition of race um, beyond just, you know, I think a lot of Christians think it's just about a cultural exchange program that we need, right? And it's just an equal, I'm like, no, that, I mean, some of that needs to happen, but there's there's some other stuff going on. There's racial hierarchy and all that stuff that's going on, and that we've got to have a better understanding of what that's all about. And so, um, hopefully, through the throughout the book, pulling the thread 
on, on, our, on our misconceptions of race and helping us have a new understanding, but a theological, a Christian vision uh, of a way forward. And so at the very end of the book, then I end with some practices that I think can help folks on the journey um, going forward. All right. Well, we're going to go forward from there. So Drew Hart, thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you. That was Drew Hart, a co-founder of the Anablactivist Movement. He blogs at Taking Jesus Seriously, hosted by the Christian Century, and be on the lookout for his new book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism, coming out in January 2016 with Herald Press. I'm your host, Richard Newton, and on behalf of both of us, thanks for listening. Till next time. Broadcast Seeding is an outgrowth of the magazine SowingTheSeed.org. If you dig what you've heard, spread the word. Like us on Facebook at SowingTheSeed, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at SeedPods. Thanks for listening.